Another five-word fable from TeamRock.com. I'm sure pianos can't fly. And bar weep, grana weep, ninny bong to you. Welcome to episode four, a new Juicecast starring uh, me. Hi, I'm Jewsbury. And thanks for hitting up the Juicecast. As always, this is a scope, a cut down version, if you will, of the absolute creme de la creme, the best bits from my show this week on teamrock.com. Although if it was actually the best bits, it would be an extremely short podcast. Like this shot. Hmm. And if I can guarantee you one thing, it's that this week's episode will be no longer than 42 minutes long. Because that is precisely the amount of time left I have on my SoundCloud. Without paying for it. Yeah, gonna have to figure out how to do something with that. I need to get this iTunes thing going. Well, I've been working on that this week. And it's kind of set up and ready to go. And It's kind of there. I've got an RSS feed, whatever the hell one of those is. But I need to get some artwork done. Because, you know, just launching it with a picture of my bloody face, that'd be no good. So if you're any good with Photoshop, hit me up, at Rock on the Twitter. In this week's episode, I'm feeling kind of sociable. So I'm going to talk dirty to Miss Rach. Uh, I'm going to ask Sophie K for advice on exposing myself in public. Because, sadly, that did happen this week. And I'm going to talk to Nikki Horn about the Classic Rock Awards 2015. Also, I was joined in the studio this week by Epic, the man behind Crazy Town. You remember them? Well, apparently they released a new album back in August. No, I had no idea either. And because his new DVD is out, Ziltoid, live at the Royal Albert Hall, I've included a chat that I had with the man Devin Townsend a couple of weeks back. He's a fascinating guy, is Devin. Always great to catch up with him and have a chat. Although it does really weird me out when he goes from just... Just talking like him into Ziltoid, yes. Which just weirds me out. But you'll, we'll get to that when we get to that. As always, if you want to get in touch for anything, at Rock on the Twitter, or you can hit me up on the email, studio at teamrock.com. This is episode four, a new Jewscast. Let's get to it. Miss Rach is joining me in the studio. What up? Hey, dude. Thanks for sticking around. Slightly concerned about why you've brought me into the studio. Yeah. I've got Miss Rachel in the studio because I'm going to talk sexy. What? Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. I'm already feeling massively awkward. <laughs> You're like my work brother. Okay, so. Right, this is part of the Literary Review Bad Sex in Fiction Award. <laughs> right. Okay, I'm reading from the uh, Literary Review website right now. Each year since 1993... The Bad Sex in Fiction Award has honoured an author who has produced an outstandingly bad scene of sexual description in an otherwise good novel. Okay? Okay. So, I've got a couple of snippets here. Oh, the joy. <laughs> so, I just want to get your response to these, right? Okay. Okay, so this is these are nominees for the Bad Sex in Fiction Award. You can just uh, just Google Literary Review Bad Sex and this will come up. You'll be able to see this for yourself, right? Okay, so this clip is from List of the Lost, a uh, novel by Morrissey. Oh, okay? God. Oh, this isn't going to go well. All right. All right. And I think he needs a bit more punctuation because this is all one sentence, okay? 
At this, Eliza and Ezra rolled together into the one giggling snowball of full-figured copulation. <laughs> screaming and shouting as they playfully bit and pulled at each oh, other. In a dangerous and clamorous roller coaster coil of sexually violent rotation, with Eliza's breasts barrel rolled across Ezra's howling mouth and the pain frenzy for crying out loud, put a goddamn full stop in. Across Ezra's howling mouth and the pained frenzy of his bulbous salutation, Ow! extenuating his excitement as it whacked and smacked its way into every muscle of Eliza's body except for the otherwise central zone. It sounds what? like the worst sexy tube right in history. The otherwise central zone. <laughs> the word bulbous in there didn't do any favours. <laughs> oh, that that is so cringeworthy. That is cr- and that is all oh. one sentence. Wow. For crying out loud, put a full stop in I there. I mean, bonus points for adjectives, but yeah, not so much punctua- punctuation <laughs> and grammar. So you're not a fan of that one, though? No, I'm, I feel slightly sweaty after that. <laughs> <laughs> and Com- not in a good way, either. No, in a kind of... I feel really awkward, got away. Oh. Okay. All right. Well, we'll try this one. Oh, there's more. Yeah, yeah we'll try another oh, clip. Oh. This this snippet is from Fates and Furies by Lauren Groff. He shut his eyes and thought of mangoes, split papayas, <laughs> fruits tart and sweet and dripping with juice, and then it was off, and he groaned, and his whole body turned sweet. I'm go in the same way. I'm not sure if he's having sex or getting his five a day there. <laughs> All I've got in my head now is a bulbous <laughs> mango coil. <laughs> so you're not thinking there of uh, breasts being barrel rolled across howling mouths? No, no, a howling <laughs> mouth. How, are, how, how do, is that sexy in any way whatsoever? How do boobs barrel roll? I, I, well, I'll give it a go and get back to you tomorrow, <laughs> shall I? Okay, we've got one more of these to go. This is from the Literary Review Bad Sex in Fiction nominations that are out now. You can just, just check it out online. we got one more still to go. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I need a drink after this. Handy that we're going to the pub in a bit. Happy days. Okay. So you've heard Morrissey's nomination for the Bad Sex Literary Review. You've heard Lauren Groff's nomination. Now this snippet comes from Book of Numbers by Joshua Cohen. Doesn't sound too bad. Her mouth was intensely ovoid. An (laughs) almond mouth of citrus crescents. (laughs) And under that sling, her breasts were like young fawns Sheep frolicking in hyssop. Psalms were about to pour out of me. Psalms? Where do sheep and deers come into this? And what is it with fruit and sexy time? Well, I don't think that's a topic of conversation that maybe you and I should ever get into. It seems like all these people are intent on kind of correlating the act of coitus with getting your five a day. And it just makes no bloody sense to me. And no mention of a banana anywhere. Missed a trick there, didn't they? Yeah. And I'm sat here right now 
Is it Mr. Epic or just Epic? You can call me Mr. Mr. Epic. No, no, no. Just, you know, you can call me Epic. My mom calls me Brett. Uh, but yeah, Epic from Crazy Town in the house. Dude, thanks for sticking around today. I know that uh, you've been busy in the studio at the moment. I have. What What are you doing in the studio? Because the new <laughs> the new album came out in August. <clears throat> End of so August, what, yeah. What, what are you doing now in the studio? Um, producing. I'm producing a new artist named Mike Rebel. And, um, you know, that's what I do. I'm a producer, so... Uh, doing what I do, and I'm uh, yeah, I've been working at uh, Metropolis Studios here in London and Chiswick, and it's been awesome. And and took some time out to hang out with you today, and, uh, and then we start a little two week uh, European Crazy Town tour on Saturday. Yeah, man, you do right. You're going to be playing twenty uh, fifth. You're going to be playing London. The twenty sixth is Glasgow, and the twenty seventh is in Southampton. Yeah, that's uh, those are kind of you've got like London in the south, then you all the way up to Glasgow, yeah. then all the way down to Southampton. It doesn't make any sense. Was the nowhere in the middle? I agree. I agree. I didn't book it. That's why you know. <laughs> Maybe I should become an agent. Maybe we should start an agency together yeah. and put together tours that make sense. Yeah, it's just kind of you're bouncing from one end of the country to the other and then yeah. straight back down the other end. Yeah, well, if, if if anybody here in the UK is listening, come out to Borderline, right? That's where we're playing here on the yeah, 25th. Yeah, you're playing the Borderline in London. You up, and I, to be honest, to my shame, I don't know the names of the venues in Glasgow and Southampton you're playing. I don't either. Maybe I should check my Twitter. Yeah, we could have a look at that. In any case, they will be playing Glasgow on the 26th of November, Southampton on the 27th. Yeah. After all these years, yeah. how do you and the guys in the band prepare for a tour like this? Because you've got all the new stuff that came out on the new album mm -hmm. back in August, mm -hmm. but then you've got the stuff from 15-odd years ago. How, mm -hmm. do you, how do you go about working those old ones up? Um, easily. Uh so we've always been a hip-hop band, and so, you know, the, this new album is called The Brimstone Sluggers, which is a throwback to what we were first called before Crazy Town. Yeah. And the reason why we're doing this tour is to basically play the new record, which is much more hip-hop-oriented. So this run um, is much more of a hip-hop-based show. Now, we did just get off the road with the full band where we were doing more of a rock tour, and so working the old songs in is is really easy. I mean, it's um, you know, it's just like anything else. You just you just it, the 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 bigger question is how do you work in the more hip hop oriented stuff with the more rock oriented stuff, and and we we you know we work with a DJ and we work with with uh, stems and loops and just the same way an industrial band might do their show. It's the same exact thing. So you you described yourself there as a hip hop band. Cause I was I was looking on Crazy Town's Wikipedia page earlier yeah. on. You yeah. can look look at this for yourself, right? You were described on Wiki as rap rock, rap metal, new metal, which I'm not entirely certain about, or alternative rock. Yeah. Do any of those are any of those even close? Do you reckon? <laughs> I guess they probably all are, depending on who you talk to. Uh, the one thing uh, I've always hated was a genre. Um, you know, people like to be able to label something and neatly put it in a box. Yeah, 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 And we've never been one that neatly fits into any sort of box. So that's why you find a lot of that. Um, yeah, we, we don't neatly fit into any genre. Um, you know, our second album, Dark Horse, was much heavier than our first album, The Gift of Game. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, and I think this new album, The Brimstone Sluggers, is 
is very relevant as much more of an alternative hip hop record than either one of those two records. Right. So yeah. Brimstone Sluggers, this is the title of the new album that came out back in August. And as you said earlier, right, it was the name of the band before you became Crazy Town. Yeah. Now, aside from being a very cool name, yeah. it sounds like the baseball team from hell. Right. <laughs> Where does the Brimstone Sluggers come from? That's basically what it was. The ba- it was the baseball team from hell. So we were, um, <clears throat> I had a loft downtown. I was producing a lot of local artists. I was working with, uh, actually with Will I Am, the Black Eyed Peas before they blew up. And, you know, it was just some underground hip hop stuff. Will I Am introduced me to Shifty and we were doing a lot of partying and going out to a lot of clubs. Really crazy yeah. town partying. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought at all. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> we had this like us against the world attitude. I was caught up with like conspiracy theories and ufos and uh you know new world order kind of shit and uh and it was us against the man you know and armageddon and so like you know if you could imagine like a silhouette of a baseball player standing on the globe with his bat and just knocking you know fire and brimstone coming from the heavens back out into space and right. it was, it's kind of like, you know, it's like a us against the world kind of thing. And that's how we felt at the time. It was like, you know, we're doing our own thing. And we were we were forging our path musically. Do you mind if I ask you something? Because I know that a lot of people who were there at Download and who are going to go see you over the next uh, week or so, they want to they, they hear that song. Butterfly. Yes. That, that song. Which, yeah. do you find that that particular song is... Because it was so massive when it came out in yeah. 2000. Yeah. Do you find that that song is kind of a, almost like a millstone round your neck? <laughs> yeah. I know that bands <laughs> like uh, Finch yeah. from uh, about 10, 12 years ago, something like they had a ma- Their massive song was Letters to You. Yeah. And they just went, nope, nope, we don't want to play this live. And they stopped doing that track live and disappeared shortly afterwards. Because. Yeah. They weren't giving the fans what they wanted. No, we, we How do you can't. feel about Butterfly now? Uh, it's a double-edged sword because, of course, we're always going to play it. I love the song. Um, you know, we came up uh, from alternative and rock radio, and we had songs like Toxic and Dark Side, which were hits that, that, that off the backs of those songs, we were touring the world and playing festivals. And as the third single of the album, Butterfly comes out and becomes this huge pop hit, and so, yeah, you have to embrace it. Um, it's sometimes a shadow that you can't climb out from under. But, I mean, I wouldn't be so ridiculous as to stop playing it. I, it's a, <laughs> How many people in the world say they've had a, a worldwide number one hit in over, you know, 20 countries around the world? Yeah, you know? not many people can say that. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I'll take it and, uh, and, and deal with it as it comes. You know, it's all good. Have you ever spoken with the Chili Peppers about that particular track? Because I imagine, well, because it samples uh, Hello, Pretty Little Ditty. Pretty Little Ditty. I imagine that they did quite well out of that particular song as well. So yeah, have, you, no, have you spoken to those guys? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They um, So we knew them, obviously, from L.A. Yeah. Um, it was one of the last songs we uh, recorded for the, for the uh, Gift of Game album, our first album. And... Um, uh, I got a call from uh, a friend named Guy O'Siri. He was actually in the car with Anthony, and uh, and we needed them to clear the sample. They don't clear samples for anybody. Um, and you know, like I said, we're a hip hop group, so a lot of we have a lot of like 
there's a lot of people in the rock world that don't know anything about hip hop. I've seen people say, oh, they sampled the Red Hot. It's like, yeah, fucking idiot. And we're a hip hop group. You know, it's not about just taking something. It's about taking something and making something new out of it. That was yeah. a little lick on a song called Mother's Milk that was not one of their biggest albums that all of a sudden got this huge, you know, rebirth. Yeah. And um, I got a, we got a call and it's like they loved it. They cleared the sample. And uh, and ever since then, you know, I do run into those guys sometimes, and it's yeah, it's all love. It's like it's because using samples in the world of hip hop is a fairly well worn path, really, isn't it? Absolutely, one hundred percent. You know, so yeah. I can see how rock fans would have gone. Oh, they're using Red Hot Chili Peppers and David. Although I do have to declare an interest in that. Mother's Milk is probably my favorite Chili Peppers album. Well, then you're, <laughs> you you are a Chili Peppers fan, aren't you? There were some absolute bangers on that album. There are, Stone there are. Cold Bush. Right. There were. Yeah. Was that version of Hendrix's Fire on the album as well? I think so. Oh, it's such a... Right, if you are, if you only know modern-day Chili Peppers, right, with, like, Californication onwards, go back and check out their older stuff. If you take one thing away from today, check out Mother's Milk. It's <laughs> bloody brilliant. And now, the sound of a squid making a guest appearance on Countdown. What do you mean you don't like don't James like Bond? James Bond. <laughs> you don't like James Bond? How can you not like James Bond? A bit rubbish, isn't it? Every, oh. You in a grumpy mood today? <laughs> no, I just don't like James Bond. He just, he's just a, a bit of a tit, isn't he? <laughs> well, yes, there is that. Uh, <laughs> Soph says she's going to be on it at 7 o'clock tonight. You heard it here first. But I need to get your opinion on something that happened to me earlier on today. Right. Now, I haven't mentioned this so far today because it's a bit embarrassing. Did you poo yourself? I did not poo myself, no. <laughs> no. Not this time, anyway. All right, so uh, all the trains were completely screwed this morning for me getting in from Hemel Hempstead to London Euston. All the trains were screwed. I've been stood at the station about 45 minutes when, because uh, they said vandals had knackered a train or something. All the trains were kiboshed. So I'm waiting. Did they throw a leaf on the track? Maybe. Duh, duh, duh. <laughs> so I, I'm waiting for the train. The train shows up. Yeah. And it's rammed full of people already. Oh. Doors open. I managed to squeeze in, then squeeze down the aisle. Uh, it was. Have you ever seen that footage from like Tokyo Rush Hour? Oh gosh, Where they've got yeah. guards whose sole job it is to force people get on the train, you bastard. Yeah. Like, it was like that. Okay. Wow. So I'm stood down the aisle. <clears throat> I'm holding on to the handrail right at the top of the carriage, and because of I'm, because I'm quite tall, mm. right? I'm going to stand up now and kind of just to, to illustrate, right? So I'm stood there like this. She's got one hand holding on the rail. Right, I'm stood there. And it was then that I realised there were these old deers sat either side of the train carriage. So I'm like, right, okay, I, can, I, I can't really face forwards. So I'm going to have to, because the, the aisle was quite narrow. So I had to face one of them. So one of them got the crotch, the other one got the ass, which isn't really a, a, a good arrangement for anybody, really. don't know. It gets a lot of clicks on a lot of websites. <laughs> but it was then, right? Right. As I'm stood there like that, I realised my fly was open. Oh, no! But, it, right, oh, here's the thing, no. right? It wasn't gaping. Like, no. you can see my jeans here, so it's kind of lies shut, and it's kind of it kind of lies flush like that, right? But I realised my zip was like that. Mm. It was right down. How did? How should I have handled that? Because 
maybe they hadn't noticed. Maybe they couldn't tell. But if I then had just gone, because my crotch was in this old lady's face, if I'd just gone, zip, and actually zipped up, that would have drawn attention to the fact that my old man was nearly poking her in the eye. What should I have done? See, personally, I'm very English, so I'd just leave it and pretend I hadn't noticed so that I didn't make it even more awkward. But, to be fair, Betty and Mavis, right, there's <laughs> now that they've not seen. They have seen it all. They have done it all. Just because they look sweet and old and dear, it, they've been there, done that. So I think you're crotching her face. She's probably, she's probably seen that before. Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure she had, but they may well have been there and done that. But I'm pretty she didn't want to go there or do that on the middle of the bloody train. <laughs> The Classic Rock Roll of Honour with TeamRock.com Okay, so you know it with the Classic Rock Roll of Honour last week. Last Wednesday night, the great and good from the world of rock got together at the Roundhouse in Camden. And I say we did a show. I basically swanned around and had a few beers and did very little. But my guest right now did quite a lot. Mr don't, Horn, don't how be, are you? Don't be so hard on yourself because, you know, <laughs> those kind of shows are ridiculously crazy and we could never have done what we did on the Classic Rock magazine show, um, which, as uh, Dewsbury said, is uh, available now on download. We could never have done it without the team here at <laughs> Team Rock because it's bonkers, isn't it? I mean, it's just crazy. It was an amazing night. It was great, actually. Now, I wanted to ask you about this, right? So thank you for uh, coming in. I know, you're, I know you're a busy man. But now with a little bit of hindsight, what are your memories of the evening? Because you spoke to everybody. Um... Yeah, I mean, we, we well, we were the, the head... Of, I'd never, ever done a red carpet before. Can you imagine this? All these In years. all of my years of doing this stuff since, you know, the beginning of time, <laughs> I have never, ever, ever done a red carpet. So I was actually, I have to say, and I, I confess this to my producer, Claire Neal, that I was actually a bit concerned uh, about doing the red carpet because you've really got to, like, think on your feet, as you know, because you've yeah. done it last few years and it is exhausting um and when i first started it i thought oh god i'm not gonna be able to do this <laughs> i had this terrible crisis of confidence and um and then it got better i sort of realized you know that i could do it but it was just weird doing so that was like one of the takeaways from it that oh i think i can probably do another red carpet but um i think that the thing the thing that struck me as i was on my way home was the atmosphere in the room. I don't know whether you caught this, but the great thing about the awards is not actually about the awards themselves, or who gets what, or the food, or, you know, it's, it's actually, it's the social event. And there were people that were genuinely thrilled to see each other. And this was encapsulated by one thing that I saw on the red carpet. And that was... Um, Alice Cooper came in first, mm -hmm. uh, and then Brian May came in about four minutes after him. So Alice Cooper was going down the line, and he was chatting to people. And then Brian May came in and immediately went to the people on the red carpet. You know, I was I was first, and then he went to the next one. Yeah. So um, Alice Cooper, or Brian May rather, didn't see Alice Cooper, who was in front of him on the red carpet. Suddenly, they caught sight of each other and they both broke away and they hugged each other. 
They hadn't seen each other for ages, and they hugged, and they were chatting. They, they didn't care about all the journalists and stuff. They were just chatting because they hadn't seen each other before. And the warmth between them was, was fantastic. And, and that's what struck me about everybody that was there. They were all genuinely pleased to be there. You know, some of these awards events and some of these kind of do's, like you think, oh, God, do I have to go to this? <laughs> I mean, I re- do I want to sit there and eat, you know, rubbish food and... And, you know, do I want to be there? And that's not, it's not like that with the Classic Rock Awards. Everyone wants to be there. It's not yeah. a chore. It's not, you know, a drag. They want to be there to see their mates and be part of this thing. And that's really my takeaway from it. Because you spoke to everyone who was there, both on the red carpet, as you were saying there, and also all the award winners when they came down to what fairly has to be described as the Team Rock cloakroom. <laughs> the broadcasting <laughs> cloakroom. It was. So you spoke to everyone. Who was your favourite interview on the night? Oh, I, I mean, I think it was lovely to see all of them, actually. I mean, it was wonderful to see Bruce Dickinson, um, you know, who has been through the most terrible time, and I hadn't seen him since the announcement uh, of his cancer. And to see him, you know, looking great and, you know, looking just well touch wood you know was was wonderful um Niels Lofgren who I haven't seen in I mean to talk to in I don't know 10 years wow that was great I mean and it was it was just really good to see him so that was that was good for for both of us uh but I think Brian May I mean Brian you know and Jimmy Jimmy seen Jimmy I mean <laughs> we've interviewed Jimmy now over the last two years we I think we've interviewed him like four or five times this is Jimmy fact, Page we, by the way I'm J- not J- on J- first J- name J- terms J- with him J- Nicky is J- J- <laughs> <laughs> no I didn't mean it to sound like that gotta gotta what? sound like Simon Bates god help me but well, um, just you've spoken to him enough times with all the reissues he's been doing yeah well, I, mean, bells. I mean he's spent so much time at Team Rock I think we're going to charge him rent but uh, <laughs> But no, Brian May. Um, you know, Brian is someone who I've known since, well, the very early days of Queen, the, you know, the beginning yeah. when they were at Trident Studios. Um, and funnily enough, there's a family connection because my sister uh, used to be his PA in the, in the very early days. My sister worked for <laughs> okay. um, John, John Reed. This shouldn't Elton surprise John. me at all. Yeah, well, she, was a, she was, used to produce videos and stuff. Right. My sister. And, um, but prior to that, she worked in a record company, and she was Brian May's PA. Right. So, you know, th- there is a kind of family connection, and we go back, you know, all that way. So, you know, seeing him is always, is always a pleasure. And, um, yeah, he was, he was great. And actually was, was really quite emotional. If you listen to the interview, he says that being given the Lifetime Achievement Award, and you can imagine how many interviews, this, how many uh, awards, rather, uh, this man has had. You know, they must have had thousands and thousands of awards yeah. over the years. And yet he got emotional over this Lifetime Achievement Award, and he was genuinely emotional about it. And I, I thought that was, that was really quite touching. So I'm sat here with the Juno Award-winning, legendary Devin Townsend. Dude, how are you, man? I'm good. I didn't expect to hear those songs for the first couple of seconds. I was like, who's that? <laughs> That's crazy. Thanks. So, sound any, anything familiar? 
Yeah, yeah. All I hear <laughs> is the production flaws. Anytime I hear my own stuff, right? It's like, uh, but I guess that's the whole the whole point of doing what you do is you're trying to make better versions of who you are each way. So by the end of it, I was like, oh, that one sounds good. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the production flaws there. There's probably a lot of mine just putting those little clips together as well. So. No, no, no. It was me definitely. But thank you very much, man, and thanks for the opportunity to be on here and the support because that's uh, most appreciated and helpful. Well, it's it's always good to see him, and I, and I genuinely mean that from the heart. I mean, I came to see you last Friday night as part of your evening with Devin Townsend tour that you've just been doing. Yeah, yeah. How has it gone for you? It was cool. You know, it's like like any uh, one of these experiences that that seem to come up in the UK specifically. It takes a couple of days to wrap your head around it, just interacting with people in a different way, and then. Like anything, as soon as you start getting a handle on it, it shifts, it changes. And so yeah. each show was its own trip. And um, I really enjoyed it, but it was intense. It was surprisingly intense because there's no buffer. There's no puppets. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's just you. And in a sense, I really enjoy that. But I also find it um, uh, exhausting in a way that I hadn't ex- anticipated as well. So Yeah, because yeah. you've got to carry the, the whole weight of the show on your own shoulders you don't have a rhythm section you don't have video you don't have it's just which most of the time most of the time I really have no problem with that but there's some days you know what it's like anytime you're doing what you do there's some days where you're just like I don't want to talk yeah I don't want to be um, uh, social in any way shape or form and then those are the days when you're up on stage you're like oh shit what do I do what do I say what do I say and then you know my default is to go back to my my sort of traditional thing and then you're sort of like oh my god you're doing that again and so there's a lot of um, um, sort of self-analysis that happens during the process that was kind of unexpected but uh, I enjoyed it I think I learned uh, a fair amount from it to be honest you touched there on it like I've always considered that you as Devin Townsend you kind of embody the internal dichotomy that goes on with to be fair, most creative people. Well, everybody, I think. You're, kind of, you're, you're introvert and you're like, look, I just don't want to do this today. But mm. then at the same time, if you have to turn it on, mm. you can go all of a sudden go, hey, look at me, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, buddy. Well, I think, uh, you know, we come from a pretty blue collar background, like my family. Like it's not, we weren't um, privileged in the sense where that wasn't an option. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, when I remember with strapping or with DTP or anything, it's like everybody lifts gear. That's what it has. Everybody. Me, you, everybody. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's a certain work ethic that comes from that where it's just like, yeah, of course I'm introverted. I didn't think I'd be this introverted when I'm in my 40s, when I was 20, when I chose this as a career. Yeah. But now that I am, you have to weigh it. And that dichotomy is even uh, uh, present in that weighing of it. On one level, it's hard to be public when you get to the point where you're you're doubting yourself or that dialogue becomes so blah 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 on the other hand i get to articulate ideas that uh it's just it's it's fascinating for me and i think it um sets a precedent for not only my own work but maybe some other people uh who are younger you know i I talk to kids and i'm just like just go for it man you don't have to worry necessarily about playing commercial music or or doing anything metal's great country's great pop's great do whatever you want and um and so to be able to do that outweighs the kind of social paranoia that seems to come from this kind of draggy ass mid-40s era that i'm in (laughs) 
Well, geez, right, you're saying this draggy-ass mid-40s mm. era that you're in, mm. you are phenomenally prolific mm. in your output of work and, without wishing to blow smoke up your ass, the no. standard thereof. I mean, just, well, it was last year that Z2 came out, mm. that phenomenal double album that won you the, uh, the Juno Award that I mentioned earlier. <laughs> Thank you. But then you've also got the live DVD coming soon for... It's got to be one of my highlights of the year, going to the Royal Albert Hall and seeing two massive ball bags dancing on stage with a six-foot lizard. Well, there's two things. There's three things. First off, thank you. Uh, second of all, the genre that I've chosen to be in is um, one that you can't stop. You know, we're not playing pop. This is this is mid-intermediate level prog metal. You know, it's like, <laughs> and I've got a bunch of dudes on salary. So the idea of, of sort of resting on your laurels after something, as romantic as that may be, fiscally doesn't work, yeah. right? And then I guess the third thing, what was the third thing I was going to say about all this sort of stuff? Oh, I'm sober. There's where the productivity comes from. I remember years ago smoking dope and, uh, and drinking, and uh, I would sit on the stairs in the morning and work one riff just for days. Yeah. And then get lost in it. And then I just wouldn't finish it. It was like I had adhered a type of importance to what I did that was uh, truthfully a little more arrogant than I think benefited the music. And then all of a sudden you have kids and all of a sudden I just was like, I can't drink anymore. I can't smoke dope anymore. It's like there's too many things for me to be responsible for. Yeah. Then all of a sudden I got nine more hours in the day, literally. And I'm like, well, what, how do I fill this up? And um, it took a little while of relearning the process. But then once I did, now, I mean, I, I, I take Sundays off. I mean, I, I move slow. I don't... I'm a day not, off? Yeah, I'm, I'm not obsessive in the way that it may appear. However, I'm really efficient in the ways that I've learned to do it. And I don't second guess it. I've got... For every one song that I do, there's... 10 songs that are just crap that I just let go, right? But I think letting it go is the way that it allows me to be productive in a way that doesn't make my whole life an obsessive sort of Zappa-esque work thing. I mean, dude, I, I work from 7 in the morning till 5 at night, and I take out the garbage, and I go see my folks, and we go to soccer practice. I mean, it's it's all about efficiency rather than some sort of romantic, artistic thing, right? <laughs> Still sat here with Mr. Devin Townsend. Dude, thank you for sticking around. You're welcome. Now thank you for having me. We finished up earlier on talking about the green omniscient one, <laughs> who in fact is sat on the window ledge here. There he is, yes. <laughs> hey, Ziltard, you doing well? Mm, yes, I'm staring <laughs> at you. <laughs> See, just seeing you do that thing kind of like, it just, it kind of messes with my head a little bit. Me too. You know, it's funny about the whole Ziltoid thing. I remember telling the label when I had the idea, because, you know, we just had kids, and I was trying to uh, figure things out. And I loved the Dark Crystal when I was a kid, and puppets, and the idea of puppets just seemed so fascinating to me. So putting them together, I started with a big block of clay on my living room table, and then the eyes, and they started getting googly eyes. And then I started thinking, well, you know, I could uh, investigate how they do the wrinkles on them and all this. And I started putting together the puppet, and then I was like, well, obviously he needs a theme song. Of course, right? Everyone does. Everyone needs a theme song. So the dun dun dun, dun zil toyed. And it's, it was great. And it was creatively at that point, just like Casualties was when that happened, I was just like, well, all points are leading to this. And then the, the um, vision became so defined as a result of 
just investigating it further and like what's his backstory where is he from what sort of angular arpeggiated tonalities would an alien overlord that is <laughs> you know trying to present himself as being um uh just fascinatingly uh, omniscient towards humans but really on his own planet he's kind of you know, he's just kind of like a 6 out of 10, 5 out of 10, and everybody kind of picks on him and all this sort of stuff, right? <laughs> so the Ziltoid character became something that when I presented the label, they were just, I was just like, no, he, it's, he's he's a metaphor, and it's like this alien overlord, and he's kind of geeky, but then he's got a theme song, he's got the speaker, and he's got the Z, and, and they're just like, what? <laughs> but I remember thinking, you know what? As I get older, and as I see people who I listen to musically get older, it becomes more and more apparent that it's just people like everybody's, it's no one's better than anybody else and when i was a kid i used to really deify bands yeah think oh they're fundamentally better that's than a me. people that's yeah, it you, you do when you're a kid yeah they're more talented or whatever but the you know the the reality of course as we all know is everybody's just an idiot and so <laughs> with ziltoid i was like well but if it's him then it he doesn't have to get older and plus, when I cut my hair off after strapping, just because it was disgusting, right? If anybody's asking. And now Ziltoid rocks it because I kept it. So all the hair on the Ziltoid puppet was the skullet from the strapping days, right? So Ziltoid is, uh, yeah, it's fun. But after the last record, I got kind of bored of it. So I banished him to a planet. And uh, I don't know when he'll come back. Well, the DVD of the Royal Albert Hall show is coming out next month. Oh, right. I'm so looking forward. Cause right, when I was sat there, we were sat almost at the side of the stage not like side stage not to be like media wanky all that kind of <laughs> not that one kind of up, up, up the side yeah and so i couldn't really make out all the the visuals and the screens and stuff that you had going on yeah i'm looking forward to seeing the full thing oh dude it's uh there's so much effort that was put into it and i mean again i i i try and quantify all these releases with the statement of, I mean, I'm just kind of figuring it out as I go along. None of it is an identity, really, rather than just wonder what would happen if we if we tried this. I, and then each one of those ideas, it's very similar to sitting around in the pub with your buddies yeah. and thinking, wouldn't it be funny if we got to do the Royal Albert Hall and we had a six-foot lizard with a bunch of crazy fart jokes running around the stage and... and and, you know, a lot of times that those conversations end at the bar. Yeah. You're just like, yeah, it would be funny. Anyway, see you tomorrow. <laughs> but um, to have sort of put together an organization of people, including media and yourselves and, you know, crew and friends and audience that were like, yeah, we can actually do this. The result of it is is me as well as the other people that participate in this, I feel, just sort of sit back and watch it and go, huh, okay, that was cool. What I thought was awesome on the night was it was like being home. It was like being here at Team Rock because <laughs> there's you on the stage, there's Ziltoid, there is uh, Chris Jericho who yeah. played Captain Spectacular. He was up on the main screen. <laughs> and you also had Bill Courage doing your yeah. voiceovers on the album. Oh, that's which, right. Which uh, came, right, from... I'm going to play you a clip of it now, Dev. I really cool. hope you don't mind. I'm so into it. This is the most popular thing, on-demand thing. <laughs> It was Ziltoid Radio. Just give you an idea of it. Toothpaste woman with your toothpaste lies! Toothpaste woman with your toothpaste lies! Oh, toothpaste. Though actually, Bond, it's not toothpaste, it's menopause. Be sensitive. I hope the toothpaste lizard made you satisfied! I am the toothpaste lizard! <laughs> 
I have the most beautiful teeth in the reptile kingdom. Tell me, baby, I was your only one. Born you were indeed my only one. That night when you bent me over the trash can and I was lured by your jean jacket was one of the most beautiful Why moments. Why you been running around town <laughs> with every mother said? My turn. I am from outer space. Look at me in my roguish pair of schoolboy trousers. <laughs> I forgot all about that stuff. <laughs> I gotta tell you, that Ziltoy radio thing was such a pain in the ass to do. I did... Okay, so at first they were just like, well, you do it every week. And I was like, sounds good. Yes! So I did the first one, and then I was like, man, that was a nightmare to do. <laughs> and so the second, I was like, I'm sorry, I can't get it to you next week. I'll do it the week after. It was the week after, something it was like that. two weeks. And then the next one was like a month after. The next one was like two months after. And by the end of it, I was just like... This is this is killing me, man. So, uh, but it sucks because I really liked it. It's just it's um, it was it was just really difficult, man. But I'm so stoked to hear that. Do you still have those episodes? We've still got the audio from. Them. We're going to re-air them at some point, oh, awesome, awesome, so that we can awesome. put them back on demand. Because hands down is my favorite broadcasting <laughs> I've ever heard. <laughs> I was really psyched on them. I went to broadcasting school, and that's where I met Bill Courage. Right, he was my teacher, and he, Bill Courage is. Our voiceover, who does all the really deep team rock, and he's Those a guy voices. that he was—he taught me when I was 18. Wow! In Vancouver, and he also because of you guys, I got him to do the the narration on the new Ziltoid record, right? And now we hang out. He's—he's—he's he's, he's a buddy now. It's great, man. It's been great to see you. Great to catch up. Thank you for sticking around. Thank you for all the support, man. Oh, dude, absolutely anytime, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Devin Townsend, everybody. Woo! Thanks. That Ziltoid radio thing, I forgot about that. I really got to hear that again. That's great. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. So there you have it. Episode four, a new juice cast. I will leave you now with the famous last words of General John Sedgwick, a Union commander in the U.S. Civil War. They couldn't hit an elephant at this dis... Ah. Uh.